Hey guys and welcome you to a new episode. This is your host Mohammed and we'll get started with MSK question fibrous dysplasia what it is it is a replacement or abnormal replacement of bony matrix with fibrous tissue typically seen in children and young adult it has characteristic features the main feature is the ground glass matrix and peripheral sclerosis again ground glass matrix is consistent with fibrous dysplasia in the long bones typically it is seen in a central location in the metaphysis or diaphysis can be associated with pathologic fracture and bowing. In the ribs, it is the classic appearance of ground glass matrix with expansile lesion. On the pelvic, typically present with the classic ground glass matrix, but additionally, the pelvic fibrous dysplasia, the type of it is cystic fibrous dysplasia, and can be seen with fluid fluid levels in the skull, typically seen in young adults or children as an expansile mass with ground glass matrix. If you have a similar appearance and the patient is not a young adult, meaning not in their 30s, but rather in their 60s, then you have to start thinking of Paget's disease, osteoblastoma, this is an osteoid osteoma that is greater than two centimeters. Typically, we said for osteoid osteoma, they respond to aspirin, so night pain that responds to aspirin. For osteoblastoma, it does not respond to aspirin. Most common location is the posterior element of the spine and presents as a lytic expansile mass in the posterior element. The differential for that is osteoblastoma and an aneurysmal bone cyst. Again, osteoblastoma is most commonly seen in the posterior element of the spine as an expansile mass. The differential that we need to consider is aneurysmal bone cyst, white matter disease that typically crosses the midline, glioblastoma multiforma, lymphoma, and demyelinating disease. This is a disease process that you will see crosses the midline. Again, glioblastoma multiforme, lymphoma, and demyelinating disease. We said previously that both inchondroma and bone infarcts are hot on bone scan. Now on MRI, the difference that inchondroma is T2 bright and bone infarcts are T1 and T2 dark. Again, bone infarcts, if you think of it as dead tissue, that is T2 and T1 dark, and inchondroma is an inflammatory process which present with T2 bright signal. Obviously, it depends on the stage of bone infarcts if it's early, but typical appearance is that T1 and T2 dark signal is consistent with bone infarct and inchondroma is T2 bright. Ewing sarcoma, this is a pediatric tumor with variable age of presentation. The differential for it is osteomyelitis, osteosarcoma, eosinophilic granuloma, and neuroblastoma metastasis. Of the four that I mentioned as the differential, osteosarcoma is the closest uh, mimicker because they both present as a permeative bony destruction with aggressive periosteal reaction and a soft tissue mass. Now, the soft tissue mass in Ewing sarcoma does not typically feature calcifications or bone formation, but in sarcoma, because it's a bone forming lesion, we will get calcifications in the or bone formation in the mass. I'm not talking about the periosteal reaction because both of them exhibit periosteal reaction and bone destruction and formation. It's the mass adjacent to the uh, lytic or bony lesion. Again, differential for Ewing sarcoma is osteomyelitis, eosinophilic granuloma, neuroblastoma metastasis, 
and osteosarcoma. For osteomyelitis, the timeline would help us differentiate it. For eosinophilic granuloma and neuroblastoma metastasis, typically there would be multiple lesions, particularly in uh, neuroblastoma metastasis. Uh, otherwise, the soft tissue lesion, you don't typically see soft tissue lesion with, uh, with uh, eosinophilic granuloma. Differential for lytic versus blastic metastasis. This note is almost copied from uh, a podcast called Songs for FRCR, and I recommend you to listen to it if you have time. But the differential for lytic versus blastic metastasis, uh, tumors that can be lytic or blastic are breast, stomach, and colon. Again, can be lytic or blastic is breast, stomach, and colon. Tumor that are lytic, it's LTK, lytic, which are L is for lung, T is for thyroid, and K is for kidney. These are lytic tumors. And finally, blastic tumor are urine down below, meaning prostate, seminoma, transitional cell carcinoma, and mucinous tumors and carcinoma, mucinous tumors of the colon, which are under the kidney. So kidney, below the kidney, is all our blastic tumors. So prostate, seminoma, transitional cell carcinoma, and mucinous tumors and carcinomas are considered blastic tumors. What is the nature of the FNH scar? The scar in FNH is not really a fibrotic scar, but rather it contains bile ducts disorganized ducts, so it is T2 hyperintense, especially on delayed imaging. Again, uh, the duct in FNH or the central scar in FNH is not a true scar in the sense that it is T2 bright because it contains ductules and venial supply, which is just disorganized and demonstrate delayed enhancement. Best imaging modalities for FNH, we have two options. One is MRI with EOVIST, which is a hepatobiliary agent, because if you remember what we said, FNH and including the central scar in it is basically disorganized biliary and venous duct system. So if we use a hepatobiliary agent, it will retain the contrast and it will maintain it because there isn't really a good way for it to excrete that contrast. Again, if we use a hepatobiliary agent on MRI such as EOVIST, it will demonstrate delayed enhancement past 20 minutes. The other option is to use nuclear medicine. And for nuclear medicine, we can use the property of a bile duct and Kupffer cells, which are contained within the FNH because it's a normal uh, liver tissue. Kupffer cells can be confirmed using the sulfur colloid study, which will uptake sulfur colloid. Again, Kupffer cells will uptake sulfur colloid and will be bright or well will be radioactive on nuclear medicine. The other option is to use a HIDA scan, which is a hepatobiliary agent, and it will demonstrate bile duct in that lesion. Again, imaging for FNH, either delayed phase or hepatobiliary excreted agents such as EOVIST on MRI, which will demonstrate delayed enhancement and retention of that agent. Or we can use nuclear medicine, which uses the normal Kupffer cells and biliary duct. If we're looking for Kupffer cells, which are approximately contained within an FNH one third of the time, it will demonstrate sulfur colloid uptake and biliary duct. We can see them on a HIDA scan. Adamantinoma. This is a multilocular expansile lytic lesion, typically in the proximal tibia, with soap bubble appearance. Does not have any periosteal reaction, and it is eccentric in location with intense enhancement on MRI. The key thing to know outside of the appearance, which is uh, pathognomonic, is that it can metastasize to the lungs, lymph nodes, liver, bone, and pericardium. So that's the evaluation that we need. Uh, 
to follow it up. Again, adamtinoma, typically seen in young adults between 10 to 30 years of old, a multilocular expansile lytic lesion in the proximal tibia, eccentric in location, without periosteal reaction. Key thing to know is that it can metastasize to the lung, lymph nodes, liver, bone, and pericardium. Bubbly, solid and cystic intraventricular lesion that is attached to the septum with avid enhancement. This is consistent with central neurocytoma. Again, bubbly cystic and solid lesion attached to the interventricular septum with avid enhancement. This is central neurocytoma. What structures live in the cerebellopontine angle? We have cranial nerve 5, 7, and eight, as well as the anterior inferior cerebellar artery. Again, the structures within the cerebellar pontine angle is cranial nerve number five, seven, and eight, as well as the anterior inferior cerebellar artery. Course of umbilical vein catheter, typically it goes straight up. Once it enters into the umbilicus, it goes up, and we you want it typically around in the liver at the edge of the cavoatrial junction or inferior cavoatrial junction in the right atrium. What is the course of umbilical artery, the umbilical artery goes down into the internal iliac, then comes up, and the location where you want it, obviously you, don't, you do not want it in the aortic arch, also you do not want it at the level of the kidneys or where the renal artery branch off because of associated thrombosis. Again, umbilical artery catheter would go down and then goes up, umbilical vein catheter, once it enters the umbilicus, it goes up direct. Coroli disease is associated with which renal disease? Typically, Coroli disease is associated with autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. Now, what is Coroli disease? This is a congenital multifocal saccular dilation of intrahepatic biliary duct. So there is saccular dilation of the large intrahepatic biliary duct. So it's not extrahepatic, it's only intrahepatic biliary dilation. Now there is something called Coroli syndrome. A syndrome has symptoms. So syndrome has symptoms and Coroli syndrome is manifestation of Coroli's disease plus hepatic fibrosis and portal hypertension. There is an associated increased risk of cholangiocarcinoma with any cystic dilation of the biliary tree. What is meconium plug syndrome? This is not associated with cystic fibrosis. This is the key thing. Meconium plug syndrome is different from meconium ileus. Meconium plug syndrome is also known as small left colon or dysfunctional maturity of the colon. This is commonly seen in infants of diabetic mothers or mothers who received magnesium sulfate. Typically, magnesium sulfate is used to treat eclampsia. This is a temporary issue, meaning it will resolve on its own or can be speeded up using enema or rectal stimulation. Key thing is what we see on fluoroscopy. So we see small left colon, meaning the descending colon from the splenic flexure to the rectum is small. The rectum is normal in size or even slightly enlarged. So the recto-sigmoid ratio is greater than one. Again, small caliper of the sigmoid and descending colon to the splenic flexure. So key things that we need to differentiate it with, one is meconium ileus, second is Hirschsprung disease. As we said in meconium plug syndrome or small lift colon, the rectum to the sigmoid colon ratio is greater than one because the rectum is normal or slightly enlarged. In Hirschsprung disease, the rectum to the sigmoid ratio is less than one, meaning the rectum is smaller than one or rectum is smaller than the sigmoid colon.
in meconium ileus, which is seen in cystic fibrosis patient. When we do a contrast enema, what we see, we see meconium plugs or pellets in the distal ileum. So we see it all the way across, not only in the uh, descending colon. Finally, the presumed pathology for meconium plug syndrome is immature ganglion cell or hormonal receptor resulting in transient functional obstruction of the colon. Congenital lobar overinflation. This is most commonly seen in the left upper lobe followed by the right upper lobe, right middle lobe. Now, in terms of underlying pathology, it's basically absent absence of bronchial cartilage or due to a bronchogenic cyst, meaning a bronchial cartilage or a bronchogenic cyst, which results in a one-way valve on the bronchial tree. And we know since inspiration is active, meaning we put more force into inhaling air, that so air would come in and it is respiration or expiration is passive, air would remain stuck in that segment of the lung and causes hyperinflation. Again, either absence of cartilage or bronchogenic cyst will create an effect of one-way valve, which results in an overinflation of the distal lung. Now, the lung parenchyma is normal. It's the cartilage in the bronchial tissue is the problem. For this, for those patients, we only treat if they're symptomatic. We will end with this question, osteochondroma, what it is. This is a bone growth at the metaphysis, typically pointing away from the epiphysis. Now, what's important to know is that this bone growth is continuous with both the bone cortex and the medulla, and there is a small cartilages gap on the bone. Osteochondroma has also been described as osteocartilaginous exostosis or just exostosis. The form of growth can either be a sessile or a pedunculated lesion, which has been described as cauliflower appearance. This is typically asymptomatic, but may present with bone with pain or mass effect, meaning impingement or a mass at the joint space or close to the joint space. Concerning feature for chondrosarcoma degeneration, which is rare event, include pain without fracture, soft tissue mass, and cartilage cap thickness on MRI greater than two centimeters. A familial chondrosarcoma type is known as familial chondromatosis. Again, familial chondromatosis is the familial presentation of osteochondroma, and this is associated with increased risk of malignant degeneration. This is also known as multiple hereditary exostosis. All right, guys, best of luck.